This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, welcome. Once again, everybody, to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. Uh, I am your uh, somewhat fearless host, Andy Bailey, ready to record another one of these daily, uh, semi-daily mailbags. We may have to settle on a better name um, for these mailbags at some point. But anyway, here we go. Dan and I have been harvesting questions. Uh, basically, this is the third episode now that we've pulled from the same um, solicitation for a four questions. So we once again, just shout out to you guys for all the engagement and all the questions that you provide us. Um, always fun to interact and answer these questions. And I personally prefer it because then I don't have to generate topics of my own. You guys are very good at providing them for us. So um <laughs> Now that I've sufficiently rambled, um, let's go ahead and dive in to some of these. All right, this is from Flond Fennett at Flennet Flond. How closely do you follow draft prospects? Um, I guess, it, you know, this is a personal question just directed at me. Um, I, you know, I'm not a draft expert. Uh, there's lots of people who are a lot better at that than I am. I, I typically dive into draft stuff probably around, um, I guess maybe around this time, February, March. I, I think I'm a little bit less connected than usual even um, because this this draft class appears to be one of the weaker ones we've had in a while. I've read some stuff that suggests that it might be on par with the year that Anthony Bennett was taken number one overall. So um, it's, it's been kind of a difficult draft class to get excited about. I guess the guys that you kind of hear some stuff about from time to time is, um, LaMelo Ball, uh, Denny of, of Gila. I'm butchering his name. I should have pulled that up before I attempted it. Um, Denny of There we go. Um, I guess there's some interesting multi-positional guys out there. I just, it's, it's hard to get real excited for this class. Right now, it's maybe something that I'll dive into here in a couple of weeks. I think, you know, I, I spend the majority of my time during the season focusing on um, just how the, the actual NBA players are performing. And that's that's always kind of been my wheelhouse. Um, Jake Hahn at Jake Hahn WI. Why is there so much blind faith with the Clippers as contenders, but so much doubt with the Bucks as contenders after what we've seen in regular season so far? And is Kawhi enough to warrant that discrepancy? 
Well, Jake, I think you, you kind of answered it right there. And this is something that Dan and I touched on, on uh, the episode that we did together this week. Um, I think in most <laughs> seasons, you would think a team that was 46 and seven on pace for 70 plus wins on pace to set the highest single season point differential in NBA history would be getting a lot more attention um, and would be taken a lot more seriously as a title contender. Uh, but for whatever reason, and I, we're going to get into some of the reasons here in a second, and I think you already identified one of them, um, the L.A. teams, the Clippers and the Lakers, are, I think are both just generally taken more seriously as contenders. And I think there's a predisposition um, among a lot of NBA fans and analysts to just sort of discount the teams and players that haven't done, haven't won a championship. Already, And these current Lakers and Clippers teams, you know, as constructed, haven't won championships either, but they're led by guys who have, you know, LeBron James has three titles. Um, Kawhi Leonard has multiple titles. So you, you, and they, they each have multiple finals MVPs too. And so I think the natural um, inclination of a lot of people is to say, you know, the, the top guy on those teams has done it before. Uh, whereas nobody on the Bucks has has made it all the way to the top and maybe that's where the hesitance is but one thing I said on that episode with Dan and I'll reiterate it here is there's always a first time um for for a dynasty or for an individual player who ends up with a bunch of titles like he's got to get his first at, at some point um was there a little bit of doubt the the year that the Warriors won their first title um I don't, I'm not sure there was quite as much doubt as there is this year, but I guess the parity around the league wasn't quite what it is this year either. I think we're still we're still at a point this season where I think the three teams that we've talked about on this question, the Lakers, the Clippers, and, and the Bucks, are probably the clear top tier in terms of title contenders. But there's still a handful of other teams that could win the title and and wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily blow me away like. I think the Nuggets are there. Uh, the Jazz are in that next tier. The the Celtics, the Raptors, um, Philadelphia. When it's when when they're engaged, they look like they could be a title contending team. So, the fact that the the league is just so wide open is, is maybe a part of this too. But if you just look at the numbers that the Bucks are putting up, um, this this is an historic team. There's no question about it. At least in terms of regular season performance. Um, it's, it is absolutely a juggernaut, uh, by the time this season's over, according to simple rating system, which combines point differential and strength of schedule, this is, this is going to be considered one of the top, you know, five to 10 regular season teams in NBA history. And, um, I, I guess it depends on how you look at this. Maybe it's fortunately, maybe it's unfortunately, they might not be remembered as such if they don't win the title. Um, that, that's just kind of the the nature of the beast with, with NBA analysts uh, analysis and NBA fans is um, it's not worth much unless you cap it off with a title. So that's what's sitting in front of the bucks. Um, I think if I had to pick one team to win it all right now, I, I would probably take the bucks, but I'm, I'm guilty of what you're describing here too. Like there's a little part of me that thinks <laughs> I, I might be a little bit more comfortable taking LeBron or Kawhi just because they've done it before. But, if you're just looking at it from an objective standard and, and and trusting the just outrageous numbers that the Bucks are putting up, I think that's a fine 
pick to go with. They should they should be considered every bit the contenders. Those other two uh, Los Angeles teams. All right, this is from Mac at B Macklin. Oh, we another Bucks question. Um, why is Middleton so disrespected as a number two? This is this question's kind of related, I guess. Um, but when you look at Jordan's ninety-one Bulls and the twenty fifteen Golden State Finals team, Middleton Middleton's numbers are better than both Pippins and Thompson's. That's interesting. Um, that makes me kind of want to run that prediction, and maybe maybe I'll do one of my blind polls and uh, tag you in it, Mac, when I put it up because. Uh, I, I'm with you. I haven't looked at like a direct comparison of Middleton to Pippen or Middleton to Clay Thompson. Um, I, I would guess that Middleton's numbers are better than Thompson's were those those seasons. The Pippen one, I'm a little bit more hesitant on because Pippen just did so much defensively, um, and he was always an underrated playmaker. So it'll be interesting to see how those numbers stack up. But what Middleton's doing is just absurd this season. I I've I've pointed this out a lot lately, but the Bucks players, it's it's not just Giannis, it's a bunch of these guys. Their individual numbers are sort of muted by the fact that they don't have to play a ton. Coach Bud has got them all on, you know, not minutes restrictions, but they're not playing a lot because they're blowing so many teams out. And Chris Middleton's playing twenty nine and a half minutes per game, averaging twenty and a half points, shooting fifty and a half percent from the field, forty three point nine percent from three at 90.1% from the line. It's it's just outrageous what he's doing right now. Um, yeah, I pulled this number up recently. I'm going to do it again here just for the heck of it. Um, but let's do per 75 possessions because that'll adjust for the lack of playing time that Chris Middleton is getting this season. Um, we'll put a minimum qualifier of 103-point attempts, and then we'll do the 50-40-90 uh, club. So... Players who shot at least 50% from the field, 40% from three, 90% from the free throw line, and took at least 100 threes. And I'm going to sort it by points per 75 possessions. And I think I already know the answer to this, but we'll see. It's got to do some searching here for a minute. Um, okay, here we go. <laughs> Number one, Stephen Curry, 2015-16, um, 31.9 points per 75 possessions. I think this is the greatest... Offensive season in NBA history. Larry Bird, number two, 28.2 points per game in 87-88, or not per game, per 75 possessions in 1987-88. Kevin Durant with 28.2 in 2012-13. Dirk Nowitzki, 27.3 in 2006-07. Larry Bird, 25.2 in 1986-87. And hit number six, here we are with Chris Middleton. 2019-20 Chris Middleton is averaging 23.8 points for 75 possessions. Um, just part of an exclusive group of players who averaged at least 20 points per 75 possessions and were in the 50-40-90 club. The only guys who can claim that are Chris Middleton, if he finishes out the season this way. Um, I already mentioned Curry, Bird, Durant, Nowitzki, and then Reggie Miller and Steve Nash are the only other ones. Um, so <laughs> Middleton has just been ridiculous this season the the level of shooting that he's providing is just outrageous um one thing that dan brought up on a fairly recent episode and i think this speaks to how good chris middleton is um is the way the bucks are performing without Giannis antetokounmpo 
So let's go to cleaning the glass now and we'll look at lineups. This one loads a little bit slower than basketball reference, but here we go. We're going to say Giannis off the court. And so when Giannis is off the court, the Bucks are plus 7.9 points per 100 possessions, which let's let's compare that to to the rest of the league. So plus 7.9 points per 100 possessions would be tied with the Boston Celtics for the second best net rating in the league. Um, first is obviously Milwaukee at plus 12.1. So even without Giannis on the floor, they're playing like the second best team in the NBA. Um, and so credit to to all of the Bucks supporting cast, but specifically Chris Middleton, who's just been um, just been out of his mind this season. He's found a new level. And I'm, I'm again, I'm going to do that blind comparison poll and tag you, Mac, because uh, now I'm very curious. We're now going to take a quick break to tell you about our brand new sponsor, Bet Online. Missed your chance to bet on the Chiefs Niners in the Super Bowl? Fear not, listener. Blue Wire is excited to be partnering with Bet Online to help you win big no matter the time of year. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Baseball's opening day right around the corner, Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Plus, it's never too early to lay down your future bet for Super Bowl 2021. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up. It's super easy. And if you're already making wagers, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. Bring your best bets home with BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right. Miroslav, oh, you're going to have to tell me if I pronounce this right. Miroslav Chuk. Uh, okay, yeah, let me know if that's just terrible. At MCUKMF. I think he's asked us this a few times, so I'm glad I came across it here tonight. Who has a better uh, supporting cast, Jokic or Luka? Um, I think this one's pretty clearly Nikola Jokic. Uh, I guess if we just like, went down the line. Uh, Luca's number two, theoretically, is Kristaps Porzingis. Um, you know, statistically, he might not be that if you look at sort of catch-all numbers. Um, but theoretically, it would be Porzingis, and I think I would take Jamal Murray over him. Um, the depth... So, so Dallas and, and uh, Denver are actually built fairly similarly. They, they, are, they both have a bunch of rotation players, a bunch of solid players, um, I would just say Denver's are slightly better at like each step of the way. Um, maybe they're just a little bit further along the developmental timeline than, than Dallas is. Uh, Denver's got Paul Millsap, who's been solid again this year when he's healthy. Um, Gary Harris has been a little bit of a disappointment, so so maybe he doesn't factor in here quite as heavily. Will Barton, on the other hand, though, has had he's in the middle of his best season of his career. Um not just offensively either. He's he's been really good for them defensively. He's he's just been a wonder for them. And then Michael Porter Jr. has sort of popped here recently. So Denver's got a bunch of um, interesting supporting cast pieces. Monty Morris is another one who I think is just solid. And I think if you stacked it up player by player with Dallas, I I, I think I'd probably go with the Nuggets. But now that I'm thinking about Dallas's supporting cast, they got a bunch of guys I like too. Um, 
Tim Hardaway's been solid for them this season. Seth Curry's a guy who I who I have always thought is underrated. Um, but I, I I think the ceiling of Denver's supporting guys is just a little bit higher than Dallas's right now, and maybe that's reflected by the team's uh, respective records. The Nuggets are still within shouting distance of the Lakers uh, for first place, and and the Mavericks have been fading here lately. And certainly, a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, Luke has been out. Um, but they're they're kind of in a battle to for sixth and seventh with the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, um, yeah, I think I think Denver's supporting cast is probably a little bit better right now. I'm I just about said I think Jokic is probably a little better than Luca right now too. But I I I don't know. That's that's close. That's kind of a toss up to me. Um, so yeah, supporting cast. I'll go uh, I'll go Denver, and then for those two stars, I'll go toss up. Even though you didn't ask me that. Jake Lee asks, is the Jazz ceiling this slash next year more dependent on Donovan Mitchell's play or Mike Conley's? I would say Donovan Mitchell. Um, He, to me, like, I think a lot of people have sort of backed off the Dwayne Wade comparisons uh, and the Damian Lillard comparisons. I think I've even gone as far as to say he could be a Damian Lillard, uh, Dwayne Wade hybrid, which sounds like just absurd praise. And it is, but I think he has that kind of talent, uh, and that kind of physical ability. He just hasn't put it all together yet. Um, I think there are stretches where he looks like he could be, you know, a legit top 10 to 15 player in the NBA, but he still sort of waxes and wanes a lot. Uh, and, and once he cleans up the, uh, Consistency issues, I, I think he's, again, maybe, you know, the potential to be a top 10 to 15 player. If he becomes like a top five player, which is what Dwayne Wade was for a stretch of his career, um, Utah's, I mean, obviously that's a game changer for Utah. Uh, I, I don't think Jazz fans um, need to hear this, but maybe the rest of the NBA fans do. I think impact-wise, Rudy Gobert is a top to 15 guy already. Um, he, he's just not your traditional top 10 to 15 guy because he impacts the game in such a different way than most of the stars that we're used to. But to be a, a real legitimate title contender, um, I, I think you got to have a couple of those guys. And if Don, and Donovan Mitchell is the guy who can get to that level. Uh, so, so when he gets there or if he gets there, that's when Utah unlocks, you know, true legit title contention. Again, I, I mentioned this earlier. I wouldn't be stunned if they won the title cause they're deep um, you know, Mitchell, I think for most of this season is played at, at sort of a top 30 to 35 level. Maybe that's enough when, when paired with Gobert and the rest of the solid supporting cast, Boyan Bogdanovich has just been unreal this season. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if things broke right and they won, but it would just be a little bit easier to take them seriously and put them into maybe like that Clippers, Lakers, Bucks tier. If, if Mitchell, you know, reaches his ultimate ceiling. Uh, Dan at Dan Forsyth nine eight seven six. He asked, "Why isn't Ben Wallace in the Hall of Fame?" This is an interesting question. Um, so let's pull up Ben Wallace here on Basketball Reference. And my first, you know, my first um, instinct when I saw this question was, "Yeah, that's kind of a good question." He was he was one of the best defenders of all time, and he was maybe the best defender in the league for half a decade. Um, I don't know. Is that not enough 
to get in to the uh, Hall of Fame. His Hall of Fame probability on basketball reference is 45.3%. Um, so that's actually pretty good if you compare it to a lot of other people who are, um, you know, who've played in, across the history of the NBA. He's top 40 in career rebounds, um, top 70 in career steals, top 20 in career blocks, um, top 20 in career block percentage, um, top 50 in career box plus minus, uh, first all time in defensive box plus minus. And I guess maybe this is an opportunity to say a word about that. Um, Basketball reference admits right there on their website that you kind of have to take defensive box plus minus with a grain of salt because it's a box score based number. And we just don't have a lot of box score numbers um, that properly encapsulate what, what defense is. Um, you know, there's blocks, steals, and rebounds, but there's so much more to defense than that. There's rotation, there's communication, um, there's, you know, staying in front of your man on the perimeter, contesting shots, um, just a lot of things that don't show up in a box score. But having said all that, the fact that Ben Wallace is still first in this list, um, I, I think that's impressive. And then when you look at the other guys that are around him, it it sort of makes sense. I mean, the, the rest of the top 10 are all good defensive players. Uh, Mark Eaton, Marcus Camby, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Joakim Noah, Hakeem Olajuwon. I'm just throwing out names. Draymond Green's 12th. Um, Matumbo's 14th. So... Andre Kirilenko, 16th. So there's a bunch of good names up near the top of that leaderboard, and the fact that Ben Wallace leads it um, is impressive. But anyway, why isn't he in the Hall of Fame? I guess maybe because his impact, um, a little bit like Gobert, it's, it's just not what we're used to seeing from stars or Hall of Fame-type players. Like I, I think the uh, traditional view of a Hall of Famer is a guy who who scores and um, leads his team on the offensive end, uh, but Ben Wallace was was just such an impactful um, defensive player. I, you know, if it were up to me, I, I'd I'd say he has a real strong case to get in, but he just might not have the counting stats um, necessary to do that. Of course, he's also a part of the 2004 Pistons team, a really important part um, of one of the only teams in the last you know 20 to 30 years to win a title without that super team model. The the Shaq and Kobe Lakers were a super team. Um, the the Duncan, Ginobili, Parker, Spurs, that's a super team. The Warriors, the Heat. Um, the, when you look back on the last 20, 30 years of NBA history, the teams that stand out as the outliers are those 2004 Pistons, led uh, in large part by Ben Wallace, and then, of course, the 2011 Mavericks, led by Dirk Nowitzki. Ever see an untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. With more than 50-plus fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick-and-mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is so easy to use, they even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. 
visit untuckit.com and use promo code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. All right, let's move on to another question. This is from at Pinwheel Empire. Uh, good follow on Twitter. Why does the NBA care more about stuff like midseason tournaments than they do fixing easy things like non-conference affiliated all-star selections or making sure all calls are correct in the final two minutes? Uh, Pinwheel Empire is a uh, Blazers blog, and so I understand <laughs> I understand the last part of this question particularly well. Um, the Blazers, of course, were on the wrong end of just an awful, awful missed call by the officials in that game against Utah. Rudy Gobert just got away with a blatant goaltend. Um, and I, you know, I pushed back on it a little bit. Um, I kind of feel for refs. I mean, this stuff is happening so quickly. And uh, if it were me out there, this is why I'm not a professional ref, but I would just miss so much of what's happening. And for the most part, they get stuff right. They do miss sometimes. Um, The part of it that I think Blazers fans are probably most frustrated about and Blazers players are most frustrated about, and I totally get, is um, some of the other stuff that surrounded it. Like the refs apparently told some of the players that no way it wasn't even close and just sort of were dismissive of their complaints. That would certainly be frustrating to me as a player. Um, The fact that they couldn't review it because they didn't call it in real time, I I totally understand the frustration of fans on that front too. Like, Like Pinwheel Empire is saying here, it would be nice to make sure they could get as many calls as possible in those final two minutes. Correct. Um, I don't know if all calls is realistic just because like I said, the game is moving so fast and in those last couple minutes of close games, it just, the intensity ratchets up, defense tightens up, um, contact increases. So I think it would be hard to get a hundred percent success rate. You're probably never going to get that at any point in any game. Um, But certainly Something like the ability to at least replay that play, I could see why the NBA might visit that, you know, at some point in the future. Now, regarding the midseason tournament, um, I'm with you. I I can't really get behind the idea of a midseason tournament. Um, one of the big reasons to me is how do you incentivize it for the players? Um, I was talking about this with one of the partners at our law firm the other day, actually. And he was, he was saying, well, maybe you just give them each a million bucks. And I thought, well, (laughs) that's going to be a lot of money to come up with first of all. And second of all, it's not a lot of money to the NBA players. Maybe it's not a lot of money to the league either, but it's certainly not a lot of money to the individual players. Um, (laughs) If you've got, if you got a guy like, uh, you know, there's a bunch of players now making north of $20 million a year. There's a bunch of guys making north of $30 million a year. Um, I just don't know how much of an incentive it is for them to participate in a midseason tournament that, that pales in comparison to what they're making annually. And then there's already been some whispers that certain guys wouldn't even want to participate. And it would be sort of like, a, you know, just the reserves or maybe G League call-ups who would participate in that tournament. And the other thing that's weird about it to me is they're talking about reducing the number of games 
on the schedule um, to, you know, I don't know, facilitate travel, increase player health, give them a little bit more rest. But then you're just going to replace them with this midseason tournament. So I don't, I don't really know, you know, if, if are they being completely genuine about wanting to save players' legs a little bit? I, I don't know. Um, I, I'm with you. I think there are some simple fixes that might do more for the league than than some of those drastic things, um, like a midseason tournament. And and one of them to me is that. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought for a second because they're replaying the Embiid Marcus Morris scuffle on TV. That was fun. Um, there was talk over the last couple of years that the league wanted to get the runtime of every game down to like two hours. and They would even experiment with 11 minute quarters and all this other funky stuff. I think they could take care of that pretty quickly. And I, I think this would help viewership too, because I, I do think if people knew that the game was going to be, you know, two hours, maybe a little bit less than two hours, they might be a little bit more willing to tune in or hang around for an entire game. One, number one, just start games on time. <laughs> it drives me insane that a, a game that's advertised to start at like 8 p.m. Eastern will start at like 8.12 uh, or 8.08 or 8.09, something like that. Um, you save a bunch of time right there. And then I I think we should just eliminate timeouts altogether. Maybe you lose some ad revenue um, with you, you lose a few commercial breaks, but they're already putting ads on jerseys. Maybe sponsor the scoreboards. Um, I I don't personally think timeouts serve much function. I mean, the game just flows um, nice and freely. It, it would it kind of reminds me of soccer in that way. Um, just fewer stoppages, just get the game going all the time. I don't think you could go like full soccer and not stop the clock when the ball goes out of bounds and stuff like that. Um, but I think it would increase the general flow of the game if you just ruled out timeouts. Have coaches call stuff from the sidelines, um, talk about things quickly at dead balls or during like TV timeouts. Um, but team called timeouts, either either reduce them significantly or just get rid of them altogether. I think that would save a bunch of time too. Um, so <clears throat> anyway, I've now uh, hit a few of these questions. I'm, I'm kind of buttoned up against the time that I gave myself for tonight's episode. So again, thanks to all of you who continually participate in these uh, solicitations for mailbag questions. I, I love the questions that we get. It's so much easier to just you know, answer your questions for 20 to 30 minutes that it needs to, at least for me to drum up creative topics for a podcast. Dan's a lot better at that than I am. Um, and speaking of Dan, if you want to find him on Twitter, he's at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. The show is at Hardwood Knox. Uh, I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The podcast network is at Blue Wire Pods. As always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Until next time, we'll leave you with a shout out to Ben Udry and Kyle Udry.